0: and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sean's blog, or to the podcast website, seansrussiablog.org, and hit that Patreon button and join the Table of Ranks. Futurism was Russia's first avant-garde movement, gate-crashing the Russian public sphere in the early 20th century, the movement called for the destruction of everything old so that the past could not hinder the creation of the new modern society. Over the next two decades, the protagonists of Russian futurism pursued their goal of modernizing human experience through radical art but many critics see futurism as nothing more than utopian daydreaming by young artists who are unrealistic in their visions of Soviet society and naive in their comprehension of the Bolshevik political agenda. My guest, Eva Glisich, says differently, futurists were not blind idealists. Rather, they were very attuned and engaged with the political world around them. And active and judicious participants in the larger project of building a modern Soviet consciousness. Futurism's radical ideas may often be dismissed as utopian and impossible, but they did and can play a critical role in driving social change. Eva Glissich is a research associate at the University of Western Australia and specializes in the history of modern Russian art and culture and the European avant garde. She's the author of The Futurist Files Avant Garde Politics and Ideology in Russia nineteen oh five to nineteen thirty, published by Northern Illinois University Press. Here's Eva Glisich. So you have this uh, really interesting new book, The Futurist Files, Avant-Garde Politics and Ideology in Russia, 1905 to 1930. And this looks at how futurist artists engage their social and political world. So before we get into the nitty gritty of that engagement, uh, why don't we start by just having you define what futurism is?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, um, thank you, Sean, for having me on your podcast. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Futurism, right, one of my favorite topics. Um, and, yeah, of course, futurism is a um, one of the earliest European avant-garde movements. Um, it emerged in the north of Italy, um, in that kind of industrial triangle between Milan, Turin, and, and Genoa. Um, and it, I would argue it's the first kind of fully-fledged avant-garde movement. Um, the French might not agree with that. <laughs> they would say that it's Cubism really opened the path towards avant-gardeism in Europe. But um futurism did a lot of things that kind of really uh, uh, changed the way that we think about what is uh, art, what is an art object, what is the relationship between the artist and the audience, um, and really what is the role of, of the artist um, in, in a far more substantial and, and radical way than, than we have seen that previously. Now. Um, Tommaso, uh, uh, sorry, Tommaso Filippo Marinetti is the leader of uh, Italian futurism. He's one of those kind of charismatic and captivating figures. Um, and he trained as a lawyer, but really he felt at home um, among the artists and he was a poet himself. And this is kind of quite an interesting group of artists um, and really includes the painters, sculptors, uh, poets, architects, musicians. And they first kind of make this appearance um, on European not in the publication of their manifesto in uh, February 1909. And manifesto is published in um, Le Figaro, And really, when we look at kind of what that manifesto is about, it it has two components. I mean, first of all, this is a celebration of the promise, technological promise of the 20th 20th century. Really, this is about celebration of speed, uh, dynamism, cacophony of modern urban life. And they celebrate this industrial beauty, beauty of machines, and especially automobiles and airplanes while well, this is a celebration of everything new. At the same time, um, the manifesto was a, a very sharp critique of, of everything old. Um, and in this manifesto, they call for, you know, library shelves to be set on fire, for canals to be rerouted to flood the museums, and for people to take up access and destroy Canvitalian kind of uh, cities. Um, and there's a, a beautiful <laughs> line in uh, one of the manifestos that they write, it's dedicated to Venice when they call for the people to burn the gondolas and which are rocking chairs for Cretans and so on. So <laughs> they, they really are, are very critical um, of the past and they see um, destruction of the past as a, a condition for creating really modern uh, future. Um, and one of the key components in this uh, manifesto is really the sense that art is the method for bringing this modern life. To Italy. That art is the method and a tool for changing that mindset, uh, pushing people um, away from traditions, from kind of habits, from the established ways of life into this new modern dynamic future. Um, and so they are the kind of the the, the, the movement that really defines um, art as an um agent of social and political change as well. Uh, they come up with this concept of art right? Art as an action. And this is really the contribution of, of Italian futurism. And another thing that's important to, to talk about when we think about, uh, futurism is that from its inception, it was, it was political, right? It was, um, very much involved with the political scene of the day. Um, one of the most still today shocking lines of, um, Futurist manifesto is the point when they say that they celebrate the war right and the war becomes the only hygiene of the world um which means that war is a great method <laughs> for destroying the old and having that kind of clean slate upon which you can build a, a new um they are very much involved with um uh debates over Italy's involvement with the first world war um they push for Italy to involve uh, uh, to get involved rather than maintain its neutrality um and, as we know later on, uh, futurism becomes very closely associated with fascism and there's a particular kind of story of this friendship between marinetti uh, futurist leader and uh, benito mussolini um and what what's interesting about futurism is that it's a really a global phenomenon it it leaves Italy and it really influences um art world from Japan to South america but it Becomes, it, it finds a particularly fertile soil in, in Russia, and what we know is that within a couple of weeks of publication of it, of Futurist Manifesto, um, St. Petersburg uh, uh, newspaper Vecher publishes kind of what we think is the first uh, discussion of this phenomenon in Russia. And this is where the story of it, Russian futurism starts.
0: Now, one of the things that you emphasize repeatedly throughout your book, and it is the main kind of you know uh, point that you're trying to make, is that scholars have typically understood futurism in its very utopianness, right? It's about you know right cleaning the slate and creating this this kind of new new world, and um, and and it seems from your discussion, scholars mostly focus, you know, almost see these futurists as kind of naive in a way, uh, but you're really emphasizing its its social engagement, its political engagement and with the material world. Um, talk about how it's t- understood typically and how you diverge from that, your your emphasis on its engagement.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, futurism is typically understood as this part of a larger family of European historical avant-garde, right? Together with expressionism, cubism, then later uh, futurism, Dada, surrealism, Russian suprematism constructivism, so it's part of these kind of isms of early twentieth century and it's crea- its enormous artistic contribution uh is is recognized right where we see the change that they introduce in painting where they try to capture movement um similarly in sculpture efforts to capture the movement to introduce through that movement fourth dimension right into a three d object um also sculpture changes in the sense that they introduce materials from everyday life, right? Paper, cardboard, metal scraps. Uh, They engage in photography and experimental music. They also uh, intervene in culinary arts and create new forms of of eating, cooking and experiencing food. They really are keen to break these barriers between different media, but also barriers between art and life and really kind of place art at the heart of everyday, everyday life. They also Introduce, um, the concept of Serat, right, of these evening performances that turn into social interaction, uh, often a violent one. So they use provocation and shock to, to get audience reaction and to get them to engage with them, uh, no matter what the outcome might be, right? Sometimes that diverges into a brawl and, and so on. But, um, this sense of leaving the studio ultimately and engaging with, uh, public, on the streets, in these public um, uh, venues um, is really kind of something radically new, right? It changes that interaction between artists and the audience and it really changes what art is. It's no longer necessarily an object, right? But it's this performance, it's interaction, it's provocation. So this is where we, and it, that's recognized in scholarship as something that radically changes Western art historical paradigm at, at, at this point. But at the same time, um, Italian futurism and then uh, later, of course, Russian futurism and Russian futurism in all its forms, I would say. So I use the term futurism throughout this period, you know, um, of 1910s and 1920s, even though in Russian context terms like constructivism and production art are maybe more, more common. But in any event, there is a label of Utopianism when you talk about, um, Italian futurism or Russian futurism. Um, if you, you look at library shelves or any publication on futurism, any book, uh, or exhibition catalog, somewhere there, there's the term utopia, right? Um, and, and it's always used in the sense, or, or very often used in the sense that sort of utopia is, uh, synonymous to the concept of impossible, impractical, fanciful. So yes, they had a beautiful idea to change the world, but of course, art cannot change the world. <laughs> so, um, it is always presented as this beautiful idea that could never be, and so I struggle with that concept a lot. In the sense that the more I, I read about the evolution or, or, or futurist idea, especially in Russia, um, I mean, I, to me, it sounded very reasonable what these uh, uh, artists and uh, theorists were, were proposing, and. What I see there is a very coherent development of the futurist idea within Russian context and one that's very reasonable in the way that it deals with social and political pressures of of the time. Um, And so that utopian concept that this is something that was completely outside reality just didn't work. Um, And this is where my work intervenes in the sense that I argue that um, the futurist idea and the intention of the artists who sought to bring this idea to life just doesn't work with this description of utopianism as an impossible proposition. I guess
0: it's it's really fascinating that in a in a mere couple of weeks, futurism takes hold uh, or or finds a place in in the Russian context. Um, what made Russia such a fertile ground for futurism? And and talk about the general context in which it emerged in Russia.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting question and something that I've been really attracted to this, well, what is this parallel between the Italian and Russian context, which sort of did not, at first sight, seem like compatible or parallel uh, artistic environments, at least, or, so, uh, future in some kind of emergency, Russia in a particular p- point in time, right, in this final decade of imperial Russia, so I look at this period between the revolution, the failed revolution of 1905 and the fall of the Romanov dynasty in, in nineteen seventeen. So so this is the decade in which futurism arrives to Russia from Italy and starts to to develop its own um uh, specific kind of format. Um so Italian future appears as I said in February nineteen oh nine. Within a couple of weeks uh, the kind of the St. Petersburg uh press talks about it. The first Russian Futurist manifesto um, called "Slap in the Face of Public Taste," uh, appears in 1912. Um, we have the formation of this group of artists. These kind of connections between people who will become futurist uh, leaders will form somewhere between 1907 and 1912, uh, and we kind of see the height of this pre-revolutionary, pre-revolu- pre-revolutionary activity. Um, to be sort of these years, the year leading up to the First World War, so 1913 and then 1914. So the um, arrival and development, first development of futurism in Russia takes place against this very turbulent decade, the final decade of, of um, uh, Russian, Russian um, uh, of Imperial Russia, right? Um, and we know that this is a decade that's often described in scholarship as kind of the time of profound crisis. Um, we have a failed revolution of 1905, um, which was kind of violently suppressed. We have an kind of um, atmosphere of, of, of uh, censorship, of ongoing unrest that continues right well after the, the revolution was uh, subside, subsided.
0: Yeah, and it's, um, a very, and it's a very violent period in terms of like the revolutionary is, movement is. becomes more and exactly. more violent.
1: Exactly. And so does the state, right? And so does the censorship. And so does the this political terrorism on both left and right. Um, and so th- this is kind of a, a period of, of great turmoil that affected every social group in the Russian Empire and also every part and every corner of, of the empire. So this is like, a, 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 a futurism arrives against this background of, of violence and of crisis. Um, one thing that I do in my book is that I push back the framework of, or time frame of, of, of futurist uh, um, development to 1905, and I look at where these artists are, the artists who will come to kind of um, uh, define the futurist movement. Well, they are all in different kind of educational institutions, which were a hotbed of revolutionary activism. Um, they are exposed to these revolutionary ideas. They are sometimes directly involved. Either through their, uh, places of, of study or sometimes places of work. So some of them worked on the railway, uh, which was kind of work and, and rail workers were kind of critical aspect uh, in this revolutionary, of this revolutionary, uh, turmoil. Um, uh, Vladimir Tatlin, for example, he is a sailor, so a particularly important category when we talk about, um, revolution of 1905. Um, so first of all, they, they, the, you know, you, you have these People positioned at, at institutions where they would be exposed to this, these ideas and, and um, aware of what was going on. You have this thermal that permeates the entire empire. And at that point, you have the arrival of this um, art movement or or and a that says, well, we need to destroy everything old and start anew. And so that this prehistory of futurism in Russia matters because the environment in which these ideas arrive is is very specific and very uh, uh, open to radical refashioning of reality,
0: <laughs> right? And it's interesting too because, as as you pointed a few minutes ago, in in Italy at least, Futurism has a, a relationship with with the far right with fascism, but in Russia, it, it attaches itself to the far left. How do you exp- like? Why does it become attractive on the left in Russia?
1: Well, that's that's again an interesting uh, point in in italy um it's the atmosphere of war and and this kind of nationalism that really um uh, that that futurism intervenes in and, and and this is where it's it's really um at its at its best right it has that environment that's already defined by concepts of 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 combat of masculinity of con- conquest right virility um in in russia the situation is different and the the revolutionary. Well, the, ultimately, you know, futurism in Russia becomes red uh, rather than and black. And uh, in many respects, the the right was uh, sorry the, the the political right was more culturally conservative, right? And these ideas did not match up with with sort of their worldview necessarily.
0: Now, you you as you as you emphasize the futurists. Who are in the pre-revolutionary period leading up to 1914 are are engaging in um, Russia's new public sphere uh, and through their pro- um, provocations and and really trying to blend politics and art as a, as a means of changing society. So talk about um, the ways in which Russian futurists engaged with the public sphere and and also talk about the the what I found really interesting is how. Some of them, like Mayakovsky and some of the other futurists, also involved themselves in in making propaganda for World War One.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, well, that's that's an interesting kind of part of the evolution of of um, futurism before 1917. I mean, at this time, futurism is a uh, and futurists are really artists of provocation. This this time, they are really set to disturb this exi- uh, the existing order of things, and in that sense, they're very Um, kind of comparable with with the kind of work that Italian futurists are are doing at the time. On the one hand, so they they engage in public sphere through their artistic um, uh, production. Um, In painting, they introduce uh, visual language that kind of breaks away from the the traditional uh, paradigm of, you know, you have a canvas and there's a unity of time, place and action within painting, it's understandable. Um, They kind of break that apart completely They introduce also topics and characters that are not necessarily deemed worthy of fine art. In poetry, they engage with language. They break all the rules of syntax. They attack the classics, you know, the famous call to get rid of Pushkin, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and so on. Um, So they disturb and upset the artistic establishment. On the other hand, through their public actions, their public provocations and interventions, they do engage with broader public um, space, a uh, public scene, right? And in the same way that Italians organize those public provocations, um, uh, for example, future studies uh, get a, go for a stroll down Kuznetsky Most in, in central Moscow uh, with, with painted faces, and Malevich, Malevich famously wears a wooden spoon in his lapel instead of a flower. And that's enough to disrupt, right? And that's enough to cause upset, and also to that makes headlines, right? So, um and, you know, the press loves a good scandal. So this is, uh, they attract attention, of course. Um, they also disrupt public lectures. So famously, you know, these guys, Makovsky and Larionov, of uh, um, kind of entering, I mean, a public lecture and, and, start to jump on one leg or or pull faces. So they are disturbing. And and that's kind of similar to what we see in Italy. I mean, Marinetti famously and his his futurists, they wear the so-called asymmetric suits and they are bright colors. And I also kind of uh, uh, enter into La Sapienza University in Rome to disrupt lecture of a famous professor and so on. So these are the strategies that are common in in Russia as well. And they, they attract public attention. They disturb the public uh, kind of order right of of things, and once they, they do that, they also attract as I said the, the attention of the press. It starts to talk about futurism in Russia um, as a form of hooliganism. Uh, the debates start to kind of emerge what do we do with these uh, uh, troublemakers, but they also fit in within kind of broader discourse of of madness and and the, the sense that um, Particularly when, uh, press talks about kind of the, the, the effects of 1905, the, the damaging effect that this violence had on the mental health of the nation, but in particular of youth. And so they see these artists as also kind of mentally unstable, um, which triggers kind of this broader debate about youth and future of Russia. But it's also interesting. It attracts debates about Russia's relationship with the West, right? Futurism is a Western import. It's seen as a decadent, a virus of decadence, a Western decadence that's infecting Russia's youth, Russia's young artists. So in that way, they also engage and trigger a particular um, uh, debate. Right. Once you talk about madness, the medical uh, professionals also get, get involved. <laughs> yeah, and I find so- I actually
0: I just just a comment. You know, I found this really because this is something that I'm interested in in terms of the in terms of and you mentioned the the term social trauma at one point and and futurism as a manifestation along with all of the other you know sense of the degeneration of Russian society that that futurism is at once an expression but also a response to say the traumas of 1905.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we, when we look at scholarship on, on this period, you will often see this, this debate about crisis and, and also the rise of all kinds of deviant behaviors, also the rise of suicide, uh, among young youth in particular. Um, so, so they fit within that broader debate or, or provoke Provoke that with their, and, and put also modern art at the heart of that debate as part of the problem, as part of, and, and a, a symptom, right, of this, um, uh, kind of disturbed state of, state of mind. Um, and we have a series of, of kind of treaties and, 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 uh, essays written by, um, psychiatrists on futurism as well, and their interpretation of, of this kind of hooligan-esque behavior, provocations, and futurist disregard for decorum and social norms. And, and, and then that, of course, triggers attention of the authorities. As soon as you provoke, right, the order of things, um, the authorities get involved. And and look, futurism is censored. No question about it. Their publications are censored. Permits for their public performances are are often denied. Their exhibitions close down. Um, and they're often threatened with with arrest. You know, if, if they mention Pushkin, for example, or if they decide to get out on the street with painted faces, um, out of fear that this kind of can provoke urban disturbance, right? So what we see in pre-revolution when we look at this early stage of futurism, we often see um focused on their artistic production and often a very strong argument that this was kind of that they were apolitical at this time, right? That that their political profile really starts to take form during their participation in revolution or or First World War, right? Um, but you know my argument is that futurism from the start was was political. They had a very clear intention of disturbing the order um, and, and the authorities understood it as such and therefore reacted to them with, with all these kind of measures. So um, the, the, the interesting shift does happen when we kind of enter the, the, the period of First World War and futurist artists do engage very um, actively in, in um, propaganda for, for kind of war propaganda right and what's interesting there though is that they are not necessarily supporting the the regime right but they are are part of this kind of or they are um, impacted by this overall sense of patriotism that that emerges at those initial stages um, of the war and so they do actively engage through um, um kind of uh, design of various um, visual materials uh, slogans um, also interested in kind of mobile forms of performance that supports this cause and and kind of raises well, russia's morale, so they are involved, but i I argue my book that it does not mean necessarily that they've discarded their um, kind of uh, critical um, uh, profile or, or criticism of the um, overall system in Russia.
0: No, and and it also, you know, of course, they didn't know what came next, but we know what came next. It kind of it kind of set the groundwork for I mean, both of these kind of twin twin aspects of participating in the, you know, um, the war effort. And then also the ideology of disruption um, leads kind of makes them well suited for 1917 and the in the years of the Civil War. So t- talk about that after after the February Revolution and in of course after October 1917 with the Bolsheviks seizure of power. Uh, how did the Futurists fit themselves into the revolutionary moment? But in particular, the Bolsheviks' uh, idea of the revolutionary moment. Yeah,
1: sure. So uh, I mean. This period of First World War was quite important for them because this was the moment in which they were actually able to practice the concept of placing art at the heart of everyday life. And and the concept of agi- agitation becomes very important. And this is what will be critical for, the, for their um, engagement with uh, the revolutionary events of, of 1917. And, of course, this kind of dynamic between uh, futurists and, and the Bolshevik project has attracted a lot of um, Attention, scholarly attention. Um, uh, futurists, I mean, it's important to remember that futurists, even I call them, you know, the futurists, they're not a, a, a unified cohort. There's kind of all kinds of fractions within, within this, this, uh, group. Um, and, but generally they were supportive of, of revolutionary change. Um, and they had the, this firm belief that art and, and cultural domain more broadly, um, have a critical role to play in, in building this this brand new world, right? Um and this was the chance to really get that Italian concept of artazione, right, as art as an action into practice. I mean Italians did not have this uh, opportunity in the way that, that Russians did in the sense that um here's a revolution, here's a clean slate, and here's an opportunity to bring something radically new into life. So you know they were really presented with this historical opportunity to engage with changing changing everyday life and introducing this radical radically modern new man all right or new men women um, so they engage in various different ways. Um, they are participating in creation of kind of public manifestations and celebrations that are designed to affirm the Bolshevik uh, cause. Uh, they engage in uh, work on propaganda trains and, and steamships that travel across Russia and, and brought news of the revolution. Um, they're also very keen in developing kind of mobile theaters that will also, they will also kind of communicate this message. They are also interested in the educational aspect of it, creating new institutions that will, um, uh, produce these new artists or new artist constructors, as they call them, people who will change, um, this and build this new Soviet modern environment, right? So in many respects, it seems that there is, um, a compatibility, right, here between the revolutionary art and and revolutionary politics, um, but but of course, right, the story is, is and the situation is is far more complex. Um, first of all, as I said, there's a, a various range of political views within the futurist camp, and this becomes an issue when Bolsheviks start to deal with various enemies or or, or other groups that are challenging their position and especially anarchist groups. So there's a number of futurists who are on that kind of within that kind of anarchist camp. And this becomes the question of how does then futurists fit in with these futurism and fit in with this uh, Bolshevik agenda? But also, um, you know, the political radicals of Bolsheviks as, as a, as a re- political revolutionaries were not necessarily artistic or, or, or revolutionaries when it comes to matters of culture and art. So, so there's that tension there between, um, radicalism in art and radicalism in politics, which is not actually the kind of match made in heaven as maybe we would have, you know, assumed it, it, it would be. Um, but despite, so that these tensions start to brew already, uh, at, at this period, even though futurists are actively involved with, with, uh, the project and, and the revolution of 1917, um, and it's, our, and, and of course they remain actively involved throughout the Civil War period. There is already a distinction between the, the political and the artistic um, revolutions, but, but what I kind of emphasize in the book is that, regardless of that, Bolshevik leadership had, had uh, felt obliged to, to answer Futurist challenge, or rather, what Futurists proposed would be the future of the Soviet project and, and Soviet art um, was not just dismissed as something right, utopian or silly or impractical. But, but they did actually engage and, and, and sought to uh, answer back to these, to these challenges that the future is proposed.
0: Um, now, one of the, the, the interesting dynamic for futurism is this idea of curtailing the influence of the past – not necessarily, though they, they speak a lot about the destruction of the past. You emphasize at one point it's actually more about curtailing its influence, say, on the present and and on the future and And then, of course, the other side of that is this the desire to create the future, to create the new Soviet person. Um, talk a bit about this dynamic of how they dealt with. Because the Bolsheviks also, in their efforts to, to create, you know, the new everyday life or to create a new Soviet person, uh, was there – this tension was also at the heart of it. Like, what do you do about what they called the remnants of the past, right? The ver- <laughs> hey, this is a constant discourse in the 1920s. Um, so talk about this dynamic between the past and the creation of the new within futurist, um, you know, criticism and art.
1: Right. Well th- – this is one of the, the more um, complex and nuanced uh, uh, issues when we talk about futurism. It's its relationship to the past, right? And we often say, okay, if you, when I started, right, our conversation was saying it's all about destroying the past, creating a clean clean slate. But even if you look at Italian manifesto, the first manifesto, right, that came out in nineteen oh nine, there's a line there that that it says where it says, um, you know, we don't mind if you visit visit a joconda right mona lisa once a year like that that's like when you go to visit you know um pay respect to 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 your uh you know the graveyard once once a year on the old saints day right that that's that's okay but it's the problem is once you take a permanent residence in a museum as, as they put it right so the idea is not necessarily of destruction or complete elimination of the past but rather leaving past where it is and making sure that that does not influence creation of this new new reality, but that 's of course a, a, a tricky dynamics there right so when they talk about destruction of the old or uh, curtailment of the influence of the old um, in creation of of this new reality, uh, future is kind of focused on two parts there the first is that what they see there is um, you know the form is the message in a sense so by keeping the old forms of artistic productions uh whether it's painting or sculpture or um um you know novel that you are with that also keeping the mindset of the old because the f- format the artistic format regardless of content has in it a, a kind of a, a built-in ideological component right it comes out of a particular economic and political system and therefore has that kind of code built into it so by starting to paint peasants or uh, you know revolutionary heroes um on a canvas you're not really breaking away from the old you're still using the old techniques the old format the old mechanism of artistic communication and and that is the problem because they they argue that ultimately this is an avenue for the old content as well to seep in um but the the second point there is that the this old formats actually are not Dynamic enough to to communicate the new message, right? And there's a a, a point in my um, in my book where I talk about the that um, Lenin's program for monumental propaganda and the kind of monuments that were built as part of that that um, effort. Um, and futurist, a very critical futurist theorist, and especially um, I, I focus on Nikolai Punin there, um, who kind of talks. What's the difference? They're all kind of bearded heads, right? Um, whether that's the czar or a revolutionary, you know, in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the city, you're not going to pay attention, and you really have no clue what you know. What, what is revolutionary about another bearded figure, right? Um, and so he says. In, but in contrast, if you look at something like Vladimir Tatlin's famous um, uh, tower, right, his monument to the Third um, International, that is a radically different proposition. Um, that is a tower that has a particular presence and also a function um, as a vehicle of revolutionary uh, uh, message or idea, propaganda. Um, and he says, and when we talk about you know, Tatlin's tower, it's one of those symbols of utopianism, of Russian revolution or of Russian avant-garde. Um, but it's actually a far more recent project than it appears at the first glance. And Putin says, even if we can't build this thing, What this thing does is opens a new ways for us to think about visual culture, right? That moves away from the busts and and, uh, sculptures, right, in public space. So this is their argument about the old. First, that it's, all formats are also ideological, regardless of the content, and that ultimately they are dead objects, right, in a wall or somewhere stuck in a a city that actually are not, cannot engage in everyday life, um, in the way that they want it to, and, and, and cannot shape reality in a dynamic, modern modern way. So that's the discussion about the old, right? And building of the new is also an interesting point because this is where futurism uh, starts to to talk to Marxism in a far more substantial manner. And this is where they introduce the concept of material art so that art is really creation of new objects or new spaces that are used in everyday life they create new habits and therefore a new mindset, right? So this is what art should do. It should create an environment in which uh, through design of objects and spaces that will trigger this new behavior and therefore a new modern and, and Soviet right mindset.
0: And let, me, let me ask, so th- given this, especially once they start engaging more with Marxism and this kind of material relationship between the object and consciousness or, or developing a new consciousness – um, are they also highly critical of, say, art as just an aesthetic in, in this sense? Because it, to me, it sounds, the, you know, from what I've seen, the futurist art I've, I've seen and little I know about it and from reading your book and then listening to you now is that if their art comes across very materialist, right? Both in, in some of the actual medium that they media that they use, but also in, in the types of... Um, Objects in which they are trying to represent,
1: right? So we often—I mean, it's a, that's a—that's a really interesting question. Whether they care about beauty, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, or just—or just art as an aesthetic, or as just as a as a representational. The, the reason why I'm asking is because, say, you know, Totland's Tower. You know, in thinking about it, it's also a very—I mean, first off, it's—it's it's kind of leaning. It has this movement in it, right? It's—it's it's gesturing to. Uh, it's not like the you know the statue of a bearded man, which is just kind of inert, right? It's it's all this kind of futuristic art. It's always you know, and this is the basis of it, right? It's, it's supposed to be in in some kind of motion. So it it suggests a materiality that just kind of an aesthetic representation fails to capture.
1: Yeah, I mean they are very much uh, against the concept of art object as a static thing. The um and And they are very critical of countries what they call a bourgeois art right of a painting that's that's painted to please the viewer right um and and make uh, him or her comfortable and and lost and it serves as a relaxation or or, or stimulation of the mind in a sense so so they are very much against the use of of aesthetic in in that context, but they are artists right and and they are about merging art with industry um but they are not. It, it, these are utilitarian objects, but they do have an aesthetic component because ultimately they say, "Well, artists understand the material, the nature of of things, and can uh, use that to design an object." But uh, that is useful, right? But that does not exclude that it is also treated by an artist. Um, but the aesthetic is placed in uh, service of its usefulness. If that makes sense.
0: Now, how did they, you know, like a, a lot of the Russian um, revolutionaries, you know, the Civil War was a great heroic time, it's the most kind of radical period, but then, of course, the 1920s is known for a new economic policy, and it's, it's kind of a retreat uh, on the part of the Bolshevik Party, a, a kind of period of pragmatism, and also a, a period of disillusionment amongst many kind of more radicals. So how did the futurists reconcile themselves to the n- period of the new economic policy?
1: yeah well, that's a very interesting stage in in development of the futurist idea um, in a sense um, there is a new enemy now right <laughs> um, well I mean your audience will know the context of, of new economic policy the introduction of certain aspects of of um, free market and this coexistence of the socialist and 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 capitalist um, systems uh, which triggers all kinds of um, Non-economic, right? Broader social consequences, among among which is, of course, the creation of or or ber, ber, um, emergence of popular culture, of entertainment, uh, Hollywood films, uh, popular, you know, detective novels, and so on. And the way the futurists of the Napier see that is is uh, an additional threat, right? In addition to um, having to protect the creation of, of the new mindset from the influence of the old, now they are also having to protect it against the influence of the popular culture and entertainment that is distracting from the revolutionary cause. Uh, one of the things that they see, they see this snap period as uh, um, really a moment that will make or break the revolution. And it was a critical moment to secure the revolutionary future by ensuring that there is a very strong mindset, right, revolutionary mindset Entrenched in, 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 Soviet society, right? That this, this new mentality, new outlook on life will be, um, the guardian of, of, of the future of the, this revolutionary change. Um, and so they, what, what they are worried about is that, uh, the perception of NEP is the period, is this, as if the revolution has been won and, um, a, a period to, for respite, right? To take a break. And it is the case that you know there is a sense, and again, when we see scholarship on this period, there is a sense of the fatigue of the from you know of from the big ideas, from revolutionary ideas, and interest in kind of entertainment and um, consumer culture and and so on, Hollywood films rather than kind of uh, revolutionary propaganda. And and they see, of course, this as a threat and as a a, a very uh, problematic way or, or very strong potential for this this counter-revolutionary ideas to seep into Russian life and, and really really undermine the creation of, of revolutionary mentality and creation of course of this new Soviet person. So they they very again they rely on this two-pronged strategy that they developed during the Civil War period, uh which is again um the fight against the old, uh primarily so the old and the, the the new commercial culture, and efforts to build new, and this is really the period of their um, great activity of the most productive period when they when art really enters the industry and some of the first works of this new um, art come industrial pro- objects start to come to life. Right, um, they also are very active in um, on the international scene, representing this new Soviet Russia. Uh, the series of international affairs and art events, and they really become the face for international audience of this new Soviet life. Um, they also uh, actively are actively involved in creation of new educational institutions for, for education of these future artists, artists constructors. Um, and the key vehicle they developed at this point is uh, formation of their of their uh, mouthpiece, left. Or, uh, which is a journal um, for left uh, uh, front of the arts, right left, um, and this is where they develop some of the key theoretical concepts uh, for, and 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 argue against the influence of of or the threats like contemporary threats from the old and and the new commercial culture. So they are very active in this period and have and uh, and 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 productive.
0: Now you you. You put the end, you place, uh, you know, Vladimir Mayakovsky looms very large in, in all of this. Um, he is, becomes a celebrity in and of himself in many, many respects, but he commits suicide in 1930, and you place his suicide as the symbolic end of the futurist story. So why is Mayakovsky's death so crucial
1: in my book, I try to move away from focus on individuals, individual artists, poets, uh, theorists, uh, and I argue that in each, my focus is really on the Futurist idea, right, and the evolution of this idea and the people who, at different points in time, will push this idea forward. Um, but Michalski is such a dominant figure in um, in history of of this period; it is really hard to avoid him right? one one way or another. Um, and so he really, so he really frames. The story of the book. And so the, the book, the book is, uh, um, the, the story of the futurist idea in Russia unfolds between two files, two police files, right? The first is Maikovsky's police file, uh, that was open in 1909, um, and it, it, it kind of, uh, describes his, um, activities, uh, and participation in a number of kind of revolutionary, um, actions. And then the, the file that closes the book is the file that um, Soviet agents opened following uh, his suicide in 1930, um, and uh, what they're concerned about is these rumors that the poet killed himself because he was unhappy with the way the Soviet life was taking shape and the repercussions that may have more broadly within the kind of um, intellectual circles. Uh, within Soviet Union, but also um, internationally, what kind of things might come out of this, so these two police files, one dealing with his revolutionary activities as as a as a young young boy in in Moscow and the other following his suicide book and book and this story um, and and he emerges regularly throughout the book at critical kind of points um, but it closes i mean there were other uh, years that could have sort of been the ending point of, of, of this story. Uh, first would be 1928, which is when, um, futurist journal left is, sh- is shut down. Um, that could be one point. And the other common point is now, of course, 1932, when, um, uh, socialist realism is kind of introduced as the official line in, 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 Arts and, and, and culture, um, but I really see his death as, as that in that opening of that file uh, regarding the stories of his suicide as kind of a symbolic end of this story. And also, there's a one point um, in a memoir by Alexander Rodchenko uh, where he says, "Well, after Markovsky's death, we also we all took different paths in a sense." So, so he was this um, figure that really had whose presence made things move sort of along the way. <laughs> so the, this was the, the decision really more symbolic uh, uh, rather than kind of historic choice in that sense.
0: Maybe maybe you have an, an answer to this question. Um, if you don't, that's okay. But I've always been struck by the different attitude toward Sergei Yasinin's suicide in 1926 And how basically Yasinin was seen as, and, and, and you have kind of echoes of this a little bit in Mayakovsky's suicide, and you get this kind of moral panic about suicide and copycat suicide. And of course, since I just, since I studied youth, Yasinin is, you know, there's a major kind of moral panic in the Komsomol archive, lots of documents about, you know, Sergei Yasinin and his, his bad influence. You know, he's kind of like his, his, poetry and his image is is kind of blackened and and kind of suppressed, I think, until the 1960s. But Mayakovsky doesn't seem to go through that same uh, kind of taboo, even though he also committed suicide. Do you have any insight as to why they were taken in as, why they were treated so differently? Is it just Mayakovsky being this kind of symbol of the poet of the revolution?
1: Oh, I I think there are very interesting parallels there. Um, I don't have an answer, but what I find quite interesting is that more than, I mean, of course he was uh, a a big symbol for for Soviet youth, right, and revolutionary youth that was attracted to him, um, of course, but what these files discuss more is the the consequences among artistic circles, right? uh right other, other possible, as you say, you know, copycat, right, or suicides or, or expressions of disillusion with the Soviet system and what that might mean, but whether they might communicate that, that to artistic circles abroad and, and spread the sense that Soviet project, that they are disillusioned right, with the Soviet project. Um, but, but that kind of uh, stigma, I, I don't see that when it comes to Markowski's, uh suicide. And, and yeah, I don't really have a good answer why, why that might be.
0: Maybe, it also could just be, just could also be the fact that, you know, when yasenin committed suicide in 26, it was also kind of a height of a general moral panic about hooliganism and about sex and about youth in general. So, you know, this is, and, and it, so much so that they, you know, they gave a whole kind of, moral panic label Yasin and Shina, about the phenomenon of, of him and his suicide and and it could just be you know all the things you said about Markovsky, um and that it was just a different time, right It's 1930 where you have a renewal you know in a mobilization of the regime to build socialism etc so it didn't have that perhaps didn't wasn't seen in that same kind of danger.
1: Right, right. Quite possible. Well, it's also quite interesting is that the avant-gardists were quite critical of Yersinian suicide as well, seeing it as sort of gi- giving giving up. And then, yeah, of course, quite a different story when it comes to malkovsky
0: And finally, you know, most uh, speaking about you know 1932 and the institutionalization of uh, a socialist realism. You know, most histories of art and and also in ideology around. Um, the early Soviet period, really, you know, 1928, and the early 30s, and the emergence of Stalinism kind of signals a death knell of all of this, right? Um, and But at the same time, um, I, I was wondering, where do you stand in, in this relationship between futurism and socialist realism? Because as some other scholars have recently pointed out that some of the avant-gardeness of the 1920s gets incorporated into socialist realism. They don't necessarily die; they have legacies and continue. So, where does futurism stand vis-à-vis socialist realism?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I very much stand within that that um, or position my work within that that uh, concept that really. Avant-garde is avant-garde, and, and Futurist ideas in particular does not disappear with, with the introduction of Socialist Realism in 1932. Um, most probably, famous work in this this area was uh, Boris Gross' "The Total Art of Stalinism," where he says there's a number of kind of ideas that continue or are built into Socialist Realism. First of all, the optimism of of Futurism that was a fundamental difference. Um, futurism is a very optimistic movement, whether in its Italian or its its Russian um, uh, form like they embrace modernity they are not afraid of it and they are quite open to it um, the second is that the notion that art needs to be prophetic not mimetic so art is not a copy of reality but art builds that reality um, they also uh, the concept that art has a central role to play in, in designing a communist project is continuous within socialist realism um, and and also that art is really a domain of elite group of artists that this is the the vanguard right rather than art as um playfield of the masses so so this is the certain continuities that that um are, are present in socialist realism in in my work i focus in particular on the moment in which futurism is defined as a method right It's a dialectical method of recognizing the tensions within the present and and recognizing the future and bringing that future into now, right? And that is a very, I think mean, that's something that resonates for scholars who, who are familiar with socialist realism, right? This idea of conflating the future and the yeah, present. Yeah, it's a main tenet. tenet. Exactly. And that actually happens in a particular series of texts within Novilev um, in, in, uh, and, and left as well, but with, uh, th- sorry, theorists like Nikolai Chuzak and Boris Arlatov and uh, Sefi Tretjekov, they define Futurism is an open method, um, and whether that it, it it's a method for sh- for radical modernization of human experience, and whether that's a provocative performance or like an object that changes your behavior in everyday life, the outcome doesn't matter. It's the method that 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 matters, and it's constantly changing and it's mutable. And so we can say that social realism is, by different means, continuation of of that method. But what I want to stress is that this continuation is not just conceptual, but that avant-gardists um, and people who are very close to formation and development of the futurist idea continue to work throughout 1930s um, actively within in shaping the Soviet visual culture and, 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 and Soviet identity, cultural I- identity. And I focus specifically here on works, on photographic books by Rochenko and, and Stepanova which they continue to to work on throughout the 1930s um, as, as as an example of that kind of active involvement in forging of this social real, socialist realist uh, uh, paradigm. And of course, the, the architectural historians have have stressed the same continuity within within their own discipline. So it's 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 not just co- conceptual; it's also very hands on engagement.
0: That was Eva Glisich, a research associate at the University of Western Australia, who specializes in the history of modern Russian art and culture and the European avant garde. She's the author of The Futurist Files Avant Garde, Politics, and Ideology in Russia, 1905 to 1930, published by Northern Illinois University Press. I'm your host, Sean Gillery, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review, or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it's not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at seansrussiablog.org. Thanks to all my high excellencies. Hi Wellborns and Noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from sean'srussiablog.org as well. Until next time, bye.